With that, let's go ahead and all stand for Genesis chapter 39. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had, brought, who had bought, brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of the Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he had, had to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in the sight, in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he had made him overseer in the house and all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a, and after a time, his master's wife cast her eye on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of, my, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is, not, he, he is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, see, he has but brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that, I lifted up my voice and cried out. He left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she, said, then she laid up the garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came into me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words of his wife spoke, words of his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, and his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it successful. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So far in this series, the series on the patriarchs, which are the male founders of the Jewish people whom the Messiah, Jesus Christ, came from. It's kind of been one story, which is God's faithfulness and man's unfaithfulness. God gives the promise and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob it's almost like they are trying to make things hard and God is faithful despite their unfaithfulness. And last week I was preaching on Judah and Tamar. And Judah, obviously, his moral decline had like no depth, it would seem, until he had a revelation of his sin. When he had this revelation of his sin, uh, he came to that place of repentance. With Joseph, it's different. With Joseph, it's different because Joseph... Joseph does what the Lord wants him to do. He's faithful in little, and God puts him in charge of much. When it comes to the other patriarchs, we don't really get it, right? Because to us, it would seem if you do something wrong, you should be punished. If you do something right, 
You should be blessed. You should get something in return for that. Yeah, we see with, for instance, Judah, he does what is wrong in the eyes of the Lord and seems like he has this blessing. Or we look at somebody like Esau, who is, of course, you know, of course, godless, yet he has all this blessing. So we're like, okay, that doesn't make sense with that or, or even any of the patriarchs. And then with Joseph, what we read today is that he is faithful to God and he ends up a slave, a prisoner, and although he is faithful. So it's like, you know, we don't get it, right? But as Lopan said to Jack Burden, shut up, Mr. Burden, you are not brought upon the world to get it. This presses in our faith, the faithfulness of our God, But in this patriarch, Joseph, he is the one who gets it. Better than riches, better than land or other blessings is a right relationship with God. In him, we see a paradox. He is blessed and highly favored, so he ends up a slave and a prisoner. He had something inside of him, however, that nothing could touch, no one could touch. A coat of many colors that could not be stripped away. If Joseph had a life verse, if he lived today, we have people, we we say what my life verse is. His would be Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Joseph would say it like this in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for the good, to bring about, what, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. For Joseph, everything that happened to him both good and bad, is a part of God's plan for him. But not all of it was good. It was work to the good. If his joy came from his circumstances, then he has very little reason to rejoice. But his joy was not found on anything less than the solid rock of Jesus Christ. In the movie movie and in the book, The Insanity of God, we watched it here. It's about the persecuted church. And... In the book, and once again in the movie, the guy writes through a pseudonym because he is touring different persecuted Christians around the earth. In Africa is where they start. Things don't go very well. In fact, they lose their son. I can't even imagine the pain of that. He has this period of disillusionment. He goes to these, uh, the, the uh, most persecuted place because he thinks he might have something to tell, to tell those believers there. He goes to China, in fact, and they tell him, you know, Bible college is for us, it's prison. How many degrees would you like? You know, maybe I think we have this tendency of thinking, okay, if you are doing good, then that means that you are blessed. In fact, I remember hearing a pastor say, if you're not in the money flow, you're not in God's blessing flow. That's ridiculous. Because Joseph is blessed and highly favored in prison as a slave. It was all part of God's plan. There is a joy that goes beyond the circumstance, that circumstances they can't touch. So in the book, The Insanity of God, once again, it is of persecuted Christians. It comes across this story of a man who was a believer during the Soviet Union. Some of you may not know. In fact, it seems like the history of the Soviet Union is becoming something that that people are trying to kind of skip over or trying to whitewash in some way. It was horrific, especially if you were in the Soviet Union. They had a militant atheism. And this man, um, Dmitry, um, he's a believer. His His family is a believer. And he was concerned because there's no churches going on, obviously, because church is outlawed in the Soviet Union. So he starts reading the Bible to his two sons, teaching them Bible verses. The neighbors start hearing about this and they start coming to his, his quote-unquote church. He's like, it's not a church. I'm just reading the Bible. KJB gets a wind of this and they take him, they throw him in prison with murderers and rapists and all the worst. And as he walks into the prison, he gets to his cell, he raises up his hands and he sings this song to the Lord from his heart. And the other prisoners, they're scoffing at him, they're throwing things I don't want to mention. And they think he's a big joke. And the, 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 soul, the, the guards there, they hate this guy and they beat him every chance they can get. And one of the ways he could still worship in this, in this horrible environment, every time he found a piece of paper, he would write down every Bible verse he could, he, that he knew, that he was teaching his sons. You know, that kind of, like kind of an aside here. If you've never memorized the scripture, where are you at in this place, Right? I mean, it doesn't take very long for a country to get 
to something like that? And have you hidden God's word in your heart at all to where if you're in this position, you have anything you can do? So anyway, he's writing that he writes down, as soon as they find these papers, they beat him and they warn him, do it again and we will kill you. So Dimitri, he finds, one day he finds a full piece of paper. He's like, this is from God. And he, and he, on that piece of paper, writes every Bible verse down as worship to his God. You know, we talk about how worship is not just singing. It's not just singing. Whatever we find to do, if we do with all of our heart as unto the Lord, that is worship. And reading the scriptures, meditating on the scriptures, that's also worship. So he writes down every verse he can think of. They find it and they've had enough. They're going to take him out back and they're going to put a bullet in him. As they're taking him out, the other prisoners, they stand at their doors at attention and they raise their hands and they start singing that heart song. We'll try to keep this together here. Because the, the author of the book, he, he puts it like this. He's like, imagine there your brother standing with his, standing, being led out to be executed. And every prisoner there is lifting up their hands, singing praise to God. The guards, they stop him and they tell him, who are you? He tells them, I'm Dimitri and I am the son of the living God whose name is Jesus Christ. Don't think because you're going through a difficult time that that is evidence that God is not with you because God is with you. Circumstances circumstances don't matter if God is with you. That That is the theme of Joseph's life, that whether he is being promoted or demoted or in slavery or in prison or governor over all of Egypt, it doesn't matter because he had a core of joy that this world couldn't touch because this world didn't give it to him. He had a coat of many colors given to him by his heavenly father that nobody could take away, that God proved himself in his life to be Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. If you were to summarize all the Bible in one word, this is the word you should use. Emmanuel, God with us. That's the point of everything. Everything is that God would be with us. Joseph in his life will have very, will have times of suffering. He'll also have many blessings as well. Wherever he ends up, he rises to the top. What was his greatest blessing? He'll have two sons who will be two tribes of Israel. But not, not even them, as blessing as children are, is his greatest blessing. He has a wonderful wife given to him by Pharaoh, but not his greatest blessing. He's promoted three times, still not his greatest blessing. The coat of many colors that his father gave him was not his greatest blessing. His greatest blessing... His greatest blessing was this. Four times in this chapter, it says God was with him. Anytime you see that phrase in the scripture, God was with or I will be with you, take note. Because it makes all of the difference in the world. It makes all of the difference in the world. I don't know what situation you're facing today or you'll be facing tomorrow. But if you know this, God is with me. There's a core, there's a coat of many colors that can't be stripped off of you. Since we are about to enter the Christmas season, let me remind you what Jesus would be called. He'd be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. If you ask me to sum up the entire Bible, life, the universe, and everything, I wouldn't say 42. I would say Emmanuel, God with us. Four times in chapter 39, it says that God was with Joseph. There is no height of joy happiness, physical pleasure that can compare to knowing that God is with you. And there is no depth of suffering, of pain, of depression so terrible that can take this away. Or as Thomas More said, here, bring your wounded hearts. Here, tell your anguish. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. In John 15, 5, it says, Jesus Christ says, I am the vine, you are the branches, Whoever abides in me and I in him, he, um, in him, he it will, it, it, it is that bear, will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Let me say that again. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, what can you do? Nothing. Now that seems like a duh statement, but even in our circles, People don't believe that. It's kind of like God is like 
the supercharger to your inward power of faith or what. You know, the reason why I say this is because the person who had actually the biggest Assembly of God church wrote a book called The Fourth Dimension. It was a pastor over in South Korea. I read this book and it's esoteric and occultish because his idea is that you have a power in and of yourself besides God. But Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. What can you do? This is what Joseph believed is that apart from the Lord, nothing was worth anything. That being promoted, being, being in a good station in Potiphar's house was not good enough. And he was willing to put that on the altar if it meant he could either have his position or he could have the, or he could have the Lord. He chose the Lord. Joseph was a man whose faith, faith was visible. He was a, he was a man who, uh, who knew the great blessing of the Lord that nothing, he would rather sit in prison and then enjoy sin. But the road with God resulted in saving of many lives. Joseph was a man whose faith was visible. He lived the prayer of St. Patrick, and I'm not talking about Patrick Tierhart here, teenagers, but St. Patrick. Um, Christ in me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in my heart, the heart of everyone who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. My earnest prayer as a pastor is this, that I will be forgotten, but Christ will be remembered. That when people think of me, they think of Christ. They don't have praise for me. They have praise for the Lord. Is that where you're at? That is, that appears to be where Joseph's at in this chapter. As I said before, four times it says that God was with Joseph. So who was God with? One, he was with a slave. Two, he's with the faithful. And three, he's with a prisoner. So verses one through six, he's with a slave. As we start, start chapter 39, excuse me, 39, we have already began with Joseph as a slave. At the end of 37, chapter 37, verses 30, verse 36, meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. So we start this chapter with Joseph already a slave. Now, slavery, there's many different traditions of slavery throughout the ancient world and throughout time as well. And there's different customs to it. For instance, in Roman slavery, you could buy yourself out of slavery. In fact, you could sell yourself into slavery and make quite a bit of money if you have some like martial arts skills in the Colosseum. Very few people wanted to do that because there's one core that's throughout all of slavery out of all of mankind is this. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Your destiny is not according to your whim, but the whim of another. So Joseph, he, we start with a slave. So everything's been taken away jo from Joseph at this point. The comfortable living he lived with his father in the tents, it's gone. Him getting to decide when he wakes up, when he lies down, what he eats, that's gone too. He's a slave. And we tend to think, when, and we know that he rises to the top where he is the head of the household, He's in, he's in slavery with Potiphar for, if you do the math in the, in the Genesis right here, for about 11 years. That didn't happen day one. Many days he's being woken up, he's being beat, he's being conditioned to be the good little slave he's supposed to be. He's being taken to a foreign land, so even his own language is not there either. He has to learn Egyptian. So much has been stripped away, except for two things. One, his reputation, and two, his relationship with God. So Joseph's a slave. We start chapter 39 of him being a slave. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the, Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. We end in chapter 37. He is sold into slavery and that is how we begin here. We have a tendency of seeing slavery as one thing, but there's one core thing throughout all of slavery is that you are not your own. You've been brought, bought with a price. But first in his heart, before anything else, he is a slave to Christ whom he does not know. 
In his ignorance, he believes the Lord Jesus Christ as he follows the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Before a slave to anyone else, he is a slave to the Lord. That is something that his slave masters can't touch. We want, to, we want God's plan to be simple, don't we? Joseph had a dream before this. He had two dreams, which we know that means that it will absolutely happen, and it will happen relatively quickly. But think of it from Joseph's perspective. This adventure happened when he was 17. When he's governor over Egypt, he's 30. That's a bit of time between the two, right? And he had this dream that his brothers would be bowing down to him. He had to imagine as his brothers ripped his coat of many colors, as he's being sold into slavery, where's God right now? God's plan isn't as simple as we'd like it to be. It's rarely ever simple, period. As crazy as this seems, this is God's plan for Joseph's life. He is now being put into position to be able to affect events in the known world. And the captain of the known world, at least at this time, is Egypt. He is blessed and highly favored, even though he's a slave. We often say we don't have a choice when we've already made our choice and we're trying to comfort ourselves with this. Joseph had no decision to be a slave. It was not his decision for his brothers to hate him. It was his decision how he would now act. And he could do what a lot of people do. We have this term right now called quietly quitting. I don't know if anybody's heard this or not. It's where you do the very bare minimum at your job because you can't find another job. And it's a way of like protesting. You know, I don't care if non-believers want to quietly quit, do what you want, but you as a believer, you don't get that option. Because whatever your hand finds to do, you should do it with your whole heart. I don't care if it's sweeping floors, cleaning out the latrine, or managing a Fortune 500 company. Whatever you find to do, do with all of your heart and do it as unto the Lord. This may not, I, I have to imagine that Joseph cannot reconcile the dreams of the past with his current reality, but he has this trust because what he truly desires is God and not anything else. Not everything that happens to us is in our control, but the way we react to it is. Will we honor God in whatever, whatever is going on in our life? In verse 2, we have the first instance where it says that God was with him. Whenever you see that in the Bible, if you're a person who likes to underline and highlight, underline and highlight every time you see it says God was with somebody because that is what makes the difference. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man and he, and he was in the house of the Egyptian master. God is what makes the difference. God being with us. Verse three, others can see when God is with you as well. Verse three, his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. I wonder how he knows that. Probably because Joseph wasn't silent. Sometimes there's this uh, quote that's supposedly from Francis of Assisi that preach the gospel at all times and when necessary use words. And that is like the same thing as saying, you know, dial somebody's number and when necessary, like press buttons. Um, the gospel is a message. We should live it out, absolutely. And his conduct gave validity to his message, but his master knew something of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's fantastic. Maybe there was some reports from when Abraham had ventured into Egypt. But I have to believe it's because Joseph isn't keeping silent about his God. And I don't know what that looks like in this point of time, this point of time of salvation history. Maybe it's his master saying, how are things going today? And he's telling him, well, master, God has blessed you so much. The God of my fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I don't know how, I don't know how Potiphar knows, but Potiphar knows that his current success is because of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that God's hand was on Joseph and that everything Joseph put his hand to, God blessed. In verses four through six, he gets promoted. In verse four, so Joseph found favor in, the, in his sight and attended him and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. 
from the time that he made him an overseer in the house and over all that he had the Lord blessed, the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and the field. So he, so he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. So Joseph, he does well. He gets promoted. He's still a slave. He could decide to mope around, but whatever he found to do, he did with all of his heart as unto the Lord. In Luke chapter 16, verse 10, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. How do people know you at your work? Do they know you as somebody who does the bare minimum, who's always complaining? Are you always coming from this perspective of a, of a victim instead of a victor? That preaches a whole different kind of a message. It lets people know that the words of your mouth do not meet the attitude of your heart. I remember working, I was in high school, and my hometown is where my Bible college is at. And I say this to say that many people in that Bible college worked in my town. And so I'm working at the factory, and um, I, was, I was very embarrassed because one of the workers is somebody I knew who went to the Bible college, and everybody knew he went to the Bible college, and they also knew he was a liar. He would put down, he would say that he, if he did 100 harnesses, he'd say he did 120 harnesses, and the count would be off for the day. And I was like, and everybody knows this. I made sure, I mean, I wanted to make sure I was above the board with everybody who was working there so that they knew that the convictions of my heart were matched um, by what I was saying. Your life should be centered around being faithful in every place you are, whether in small things or in big things. We say how we don't care about reputation, but in a way we should. We should be known as a people who are constantly being transformed by the power of God, and it should be visible in our life towards others. 1 Peter 2.12 says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of, of his of visitation. You know, I think is interesting here is he does not say that they will not speak evil about you, only that when they speak evil against you, they know they're wrong. And that's the way it should be, right? If somebody makes an accusation against you, it should fall off of you by your conduct, by the way that people see you, as opposed to sticking on you because of the, your conduct that you are doing. And we see this in Joseph. Joseph has exemplary conduct, but evil is still spoken about him. You know, this is a problem that we've had in Christian circles for a long time. We think that suffering for the Lord looks like somebody saying, deny Christ or you get a bullet. You know, Dimitri, who I talked about before, he wasn't in prison because he was a Christian. And he was, but that's not the charge. This was the charge. It was sedition. They tried to make him say he was working with foreign powers to destabilize their government. We think, okay, if I'm not suffering because it puts on there because I'm a Christian, then I'm not suffering for being a Christian. But if you're doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord and you are suffering, that is suffering as a Christian. We watched the, we watched the movie on a Wednesday night, The Essential Church, not terribly long ago. In Canada, it was worse than the United States even when it came to COVID and shutting down churches. And a few pastors had boldly proclaimed, Christ, not Caesar, is king of the church. And they had church anyway. And they went to prison. I guarantee you the charge that they went to prison for was not because they opened up their church. It was something else, I guarantee. You know, danger to the public health and they put them in solitary confinement. God is with a slave. He is also with the faithful. Verses 7 through 18. It's easy to be faithful when you have no temptation, but when you're in the middle of temptation, that is when we need the power of the Holy Spirit. When suffering doesn't discourage. For a lot of people, it's not pain that tests them, but it's pleasure. Someone who is an upright moral person while being, while being a garbage man may become a tyrant or a wicked man when he becomes the head of the waste management company. Promotion will test you in ways that suffering can't. Worst days, um, worst days in a lot of people's lives is when they win the lottery. Example of that, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold Schwarzenegger, he's, uh, I, I heard somebody else talking about this and it really fits well. 
He's a man who was so dedicated to so many things that uh, anything he put his hand to do, it prospered. He uh, couldn't speak English, but he's like, hey, I'm going to be a, a movie actor in America. And he's the Terminator, right? He made all that money. He's born in Czechoslovakia, but he's the governor of a state in America. He, gets, he marries into uh, what many consider the American royal family, the Kennedys. And then one day he decides to sleep with the gal that's watching his kids and everything falls apart. It was success that tested him way more than him striving to be Mr. Universe. God is with the faithful. And oftentimes when the devil can't find an end by, by causing suffering in your life, he will cause great prosperity. In verse 7, Joseph is tested in this chapter in so many ways. He's already been tested as a slave and he passed that. So what will he do as a man of influence? Will he take what he shouldn't? He has been tested in body, in mind, and now he'll be tested in his very soul. His master's wife says, come to bed with me, verse 7. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eye on Joseph and she said, and she said lie with me. In verse 6, I kind of skipped the last portion of that, um, which is now Joseph was handsome in form and, and appearance. I thought this was interesting looking at this. There's only three men in the Bible that says that they're good looking. We have Joseph here. We have David and David's son, Absalom. There are so many women who are told about how beautiful they are in the Bible. Like in the Talmud, it said that Eve had uh, a third of the beauty of womankind, and then Sarah is as beautiful as Eve, so that's two-thirds gone, yet there's so many more women in the scripture, it says they're beautiful. And men, we have like three, so God really evenly proportioned the beauty amongst all men, I think. It's a juxtaposition. You see, when it came to, when it came to Sarah, and it came to Rebecca, they're in danger because of their great beauty. And now Joseph, he's in danger of his great handsomeness, his ruggedly dashing good looks. You know, good for him, the Bible says that. It doesn't say about many people. Um, he's in danger for this. And who will save him out of this? He has nobody to stand for him. See, when it came to Sarah, when it came to Rebecca, they had a husband who could stand up, now didn't. And God stood up for them. But Joseph has no one. He's a slave, According to certain Egyptologists, and I'm going to put this on David Gusick because I didn't read the literature, he did. Um, but apparently in Egypt, uh, women, noble women, it was okay for them to be promiscuous. I want to point that out because for Joseph, there is, if he would go to bed with her, there wouldn't be so many big physical consequences. He's more concerned about the spiritual consequences. In fact, by not going to bed with her, he is risking everything it would seem that a person might value. His hard work, his reputation. In verse 8, in verse um, 8 he uh, is his response to her. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. I've been told that morality is what we do around other people, but ethics is what we do when no one else is watching. At this point, there may be people, there may be people who know what this about this illicit affair, but who cares? Joseph has a couple outs here. He can say, she came on to me because she is. He can say, I am a slave. She's, she's the wife of my master. I have to do what she says. He has a lot of outs. And we always have so many excuses when it comes to temptation and sin. There has to be a good reason not to. And he has a good reason not to. He has priorities in his life. Verse 9. He is not greater than I in, in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness? He knows. It doesn't matter all the circumstances around this. This is great wickedness. And here's the clencher. And sin against God. You understand what he's risking here by refusing her advances? People look at him as a good man. And if he gave in to her advances, maybe nobody would even know. But even if people know, he has a great couple outs. He's risking so much by not acquiescing to her request He's unwilling to give up 
the coat of many colors his heavenly father gave him. Because nobody can take that away. When his brothers saw him coming, they said, here comes the dreamer. Let's kill him and see what happens to his dreams. They take him, they rip the coat of many colors, the long robe, the robe that represented his father's love off of his back. They tore it to shreds and they stained it with an animal's blood and they show it to his father. But he has an integrity, he has fellowship, he has friendship with God. And to do this great evil means he loses that. And he's unwilling. I, I was on a run recently and it's during my times where I'm running, where I'm praying to God. I'm having this close, my close relationship with the Lord. And I felt compelled to tell him this, that God, I am so grateful for all the blessings you've given me, for my wife, for my cats, for my health. It's, in 2018, God put me on this journey. And, and, and ever since then, um, yeah, I've been, you know, the weight, the, weight stayed up, the weight has stayed up and my perspective has changed on so many things. I said, God, I appreciate so many blessings, but I would give up everything before I would give up this moment where I feel close to you. It means so much more than anything else. So as I was getting prepared for this today's sermon, it's like, that's what Joseph must have felt like, is that I have been trusted. He puts God first. He puts his master and others second. And finally himself, he will not betray his master, but more importantly, he will not betray his God. In verse 10, we see in a good example, verse 10 and 11 of how to deal with temptation. Verse 10. And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in, was there in the house, she caught him by the garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. Joseph's a good example of what we should do when tempted. Just don't be around it. When Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, they took his coat of many colors off him. He had one given to him by his heavenly father that he would not give up. I talked about what he, was, what he was risking here of the pleasurable life. We think about Joseph and his other 11 brothers. Let's juxtapose them for just a second here. Joseph is a slave and he's about to be a prisoner. They're living with their families. They're making money or whatever they're doing. And we might think, okay, they're living a better life than Joseph is, but they're not. Because every day they get to see their father and how much their father's dying inside. And every day as they're enjoying good food and good company that lingers on their hearts. And we get to the point where they meet again and we see changed people. All this while, while Joseph is enduring beatings, where he's enduring starvation, he's enduring so many things, being falsely accused, which according to many people is much worse than the rest. He has this sweet fellowship with God he is unwilling to let go of. He gets out of there. He does the right thing. I said before, you have three mortal enemies. You have the devil and his angel. You have the culture of this world. And you have your, your own sinful nature. Each one is a tyrant. Each one is a slave master in your life. And each one is telling you, when it comes to things you know in your heart is wrong, yes, you will do it. Here's your litany of excuses. Just do it. And things will get better or things will be good. And you know, I, have, I was writing down this. I was preparing this this week. I was like, you know what's amazing, Holy Spirit? There are people today, they're going to get applications from this that I can never possibly imagine. Because we all have this, we all have our sinful nature. We have the devil and his angels. And we have the world that's telling us, yes, you will do this. And all we have to do, all we have to do, when it comes down, right down to it, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have to say, no, I won't. One more time, then they can say, yes, you will. So she bothers him day by day. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. And he tells her, and finally, the last time, no, I won't. And she rips his garments off of him, but she couldn't touch the coat of many colors that God had given him. This is a scary scene, a terrifying moment for a couple of reasons in verse 11. There is no accountability in this moment. Nobody's around besides the Lord himself. Second, as um, he said in the, his situation that he's in, he is a slave, a promoted slave, but a slave nonetheless. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, explains to us verse 12 that we've been reading here. No temptation has overtaken you 
that, except that which is common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide for you a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Sometimes that way out is literally walking out of that situation. I can remember a time when I was a college student and um, I'm trying to remember all the details of this. Um, I was in another town. And um, I actually was taking kids to National uh, Fine Arts Festival, and I had time to myself. And there was this, uh, this place on the strip that was, uh, it, w- it wasn't exactly a strip bar, but it was one where gals were scantily dressed. And I remember thinking at that moment, because of the sinful nature, the devil and his angels in this world is like, nobody's around, nobody knows. There's no accountability right now, and nobody will think less of you. And remember my heart beating so hard, and I had to run away from that area. That is what we do at temptation. We run away. We do not think, oh, I'm strong enough to endure. The, lo- the devil smiles when people think that. When they think that they are beyond the petty concerns of other mortals, he'll show them how weak they really are if they stay in that, way, in that place of temptation. She lies. In verses 13 through 18, I read that to you before. She lies about what happened. What would happen to Joseph? Who knows? She doesn't know. She doesn't care. She has a pretty good lie too, a believable lie. And Joseph is sent to prison. What should, we, what, what should he have done? Exactly what he did. Anyone who wants to live a righteous life will suffer persecution. It doesn't always look what we think it'll look like. God is with a slave, he's with the faithful, and he's with a prisoner. In verses 19 through 23. So Joseph had, was, is, was blessed and highly favored. We just read about that. And God promoted him to the head of, of Potiphar's household. And now he's in prison. And now he still is blessed and highly favored. Are you going through something today? Or maybe your time hasn't come for suffering, and it will come. And the devil's going to come with all of his tricks and all of his words to tell you that God has abandoned you. God doesn't love you. God doesn't care anymore. Here's your word of encouragement for you to hold on to. Verse 19. Let me get over that in my Bible. All that build up for me to have to look. As soon as... um, Verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph. But the Lord was with Joseph. Here's her word of encouragement. The Lord is with you. There are joys beyond this world. We suffer when we think that God has forgotten about the dreams. No, you are on the road to the dreams that God has for you. Pastor Paul Washer said in a sermon that this really is the rule for many people, many godly people, especially young people, that God works in us to discipline us to the point to where we finally agree with the psalmist, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Joseph does everything right. and Now he's a slave and he's a prisoner in a prison for a crime he didn't commit. Especially young folks, let me talk to you. Life is not going to go the way you think it's going to go. That's not very, that's not very encouraging, but it's not. So you might as well hear it right now. It's not going to go the, the straight lines you think it's going to go. You're going to have time of pain. You're going to have time of suffering. But I want you to be encouraged. That does not mean you're not on the road that God has for you. That you are still blessed and highly favored even when those times come. That the most important thing in your life is not to have the car, not to have the house, not to have all the riches in this world, but that God is with you. Potiphar's anger is kindled. It's like a fire that's being stoked. He believes the lies. You know, I think there's very few things that hurt as bad as when people you care about believe lies about you. Joseph master is furious and he believes the lies told to him about Joseph. Now, to the extent, I'm not exactly sure, because I would think that if you had a slave who violated your wife, you'd put him to death. You wouldn't put him in prison. But that may not necessarily be the case. In one way, shape, or form, he believes these lies. And now Joseph's in prison. But verse 21, but the Lord. That's probably one of the most encouraging phrases you see in Scripture, but God. Things seem to be going one way. We make all of our things, but God. Things are bad, yes, but the Lord is still with Joseph. 
Joseph, no matter what his hand finds to do, does it with all of his heart as unto the Lord. He couldn't stop his master's wife from lying, nor could he convince his master of the truth. So he could decide, now I'm in this prison cell and I can decide, okay, I'm just going to serve out my time. I'm going to mope around and do nothing. No, whatever work he found to do, he did it with all of his heart. He did it as unto the Lord. We can't control the actions of others, but we can control our own. Sometimes we're in prisons too. When things look bad, but that doesn't mean the Lord has forsaken us. In Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. Joseph exemplified this. Even in prison, he is, he is a man who no matter the circumstance, he works with all of his heart, not for human masters, but for his God. In verse 23, verse 23, we see, uh, we see the quality of this man. Yet the chief cup, oh, sorry, I'm in the wrong spot. Uh, 23, the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. There is a point where we see the supernatural work of God in Joseph's life when he becomes governor of Egypt. But that does not mean God was not training him before that time, developing the integrity and the know-how to do what he's doing. You know what I think is amazing about the end of Genesis, towards the end of Genesis? God saves the whole earth from starvation. And how does he do it? This miraculous event? Through proper financial management. How mundane, right? You get to Exodus and you got the, the Red Sea parting. You've got all these plagues and everything going on. But when God saves the world, the physical world from starvation, proper financial management. It's a miracle though. It's an incredible miracle. Sometimes we overlook the most incredible miracles because we want to be entertained instead of blessed. God works through this man through proper financial management and he saves the world, but he is preparing him throughout all this time. Maybe the situation you're in right now is God preparing you for the next step in your life. Or maybe it's simply for you to get to the point where the psalmist says, whom do I have in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. If you are in Christ, God is with you. Do you know that today? The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. I think sometimes we think that there's levels to this, but God is all God, right? There's, no, there's never like a small portion of God. If the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, the entirety of the God, the Godhead dwells within you. I mean, that, that's, that's one of those mysteries of God that I understand, I can intellectually share with you, but I don't know if I fully understand that. Heaven can't hold him, nor the earth, but he lives inside of you. You have the Holy Spirit. God is with you. So that means if you're facing temptation, you have the Holy Spirit power in you that can help you face any temptation you're going through. If you're going through times of depression and sorrow, you have joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. In times of greatness, you have, you have a check in your spirit that tells you, don't make this your joy, don't make this your God, because there's joys that are better than this. There's one thing that always kind of sticks in my head whenever I think about whenever I think about the rapture. We are a pre-tribulation, pre-millennial church, and I believe the rapture is any moment. And this is one thing that Charles Spurgeon had said that always, it really convicts my heart bad because I'll be honest, when things are going bad, then I'm like, come Lord Jesus, come. And when things are going good, I'm like, why don't you wait until after the next vacation, Jesus? Then things, then I'm going to, this is one of the things Charles Spurgeon said, is that if you only want Jesus to come when things are bad, and you don't want him to come when things are good. He said that you don't really want Jesus to come at all. And I'm like, that's me. I don't want that to be me. So it changes my perspective. That no matter how good things are, they're only good because Jesus Christ is in me and is with me. And those things can never be my God. You know how we know that this isn't Joseph's God? Because he sacrifices not just his position, he sacrifices his reputation. I talked before. I've been thinking about this whole weekend, this whole week. By the way, if you ever talked with me on Saturday, I'm not good company because my mind is really being consumed by what I'm, what I'm going to be preaching on. And like this whole week, I've been thinking about this. Joseph has only one small thing in his life, and it's his reputation that he's worked so hard for. 
Yes, God was with him, but he was a hard worker. He was a man of integrity. He loses even that. People think he's a rapist. How much are we willing to put on the altar when it comes down to it? We had the song, we've had that song in the past, I surrender all. And never is there a time where more people lie together than when we sang that song because we have times in our life where we tell God, not this though. You can have everything else, but not this, but we say, I surrender all. Joseph, he had one little bit left and he sacrifices that because he would rather sacrifice everything and know God than to gain the whole world and lose his soul. Dear believer, God is with you. If he was with Joseph when he was a slave and a prisoner, he will be with you. He has promised to never leave or forsake you. So here's the question for us today. Are we being faithful? We see God's faithfulness have been through unfaithfulness, but we see how much of a better life Joseph had, no matter the circumstance, because he was faithful. So are you being faithful? That's my big question. When somebody comes to me, their life is in chaos. Are you currently being faithful? Because sometimes we like to spiritualize this and we like to act like God is punishing us because we didn't do something that he had told us in the past. But currently, we're currently living against God's law and we wonder why there's chaos in our life. Are you being faithful in the small things? If you're not being faithful in the small things, God's not going to give you big things to be faithful over. Because if you're unfaithful in the small things, you'll be unfaithful in the big things. Be faithful in the small things in your work. Do people know you as a hard worker? Do people know you as a worker who exercises integrity? In your faith, is church, is, is your relationship with God a one day a week thing? Can you imagine if your anything was a one day a week thing? It wouldn't last very long. In your family, are you being faithful? Set as your highest priority, loving God more. See, God couldn't love us more, but we can always love God more. I mean, I don't, I, it's interesting. I'll talk with somebody and once again, their life is in chaos. I'm like, um, when is the last time you prayed? And they're like, I prayed right before this. And I'm like, did you really though? Because a lot of times these people will like abandon the faith shortly after. I'm like, were you sure you weren't just speaking words into the air? Were you connecting with God in a deep way? Because if you're connecting with God in a deep way, there's a lot of things that I don't have to tell you because the Holy Spirit makes that clear. I don't have to point out that, hey, you're not living the life that God wants you to live because the Holy Spirit makes that clear. Set as your highest priority, loving God more in your life. Worship team, would you come up at this time? I find the, the story of Joseph, written down by the power of the Holy Spirit through the, uh, through the human author Moses, to be one of the most challenging stories in the scripture because he's a man who doesn't compromise. In my own life, I haven't lived a perfect life and nobody here has. And we see our, a lot of our fall, failings when we look at a guy like Joseph. But it's that encouragement that if God was with him, he is with me. And he is constantly conforming me into the image of his son. Today, be encouraged. Know that God is with you and that he's calling you also to be faithful, to be holy as he is holy.